June 1st, 2022. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin and Daf'ayin Bet Amud Aleph and the last of the narrow lines. It's where we begin the next Mishnah. And the Mishnah, as we mentioned yesterday, has no connection to anything we've learned over the course of the past several Dapim in this Perek. The topic throughout the Perek has been Ben Soreru More. Now, through the last two and a half Dapim of the Perek, as an altogether different topic. So why is it here? It's here because of those first few words in the Mishnah, Habba Mahteret Nidon Al Shem Sofo. Just those last three words, Nidon or four words, Nidon Al Shem Sofo. Those are the words that link us to the earlier topic. And that was by Ben Soreru More. This child at this moment in these situations is not liable to death penalty, as we said in the last Mishnah, as we explained in the Gemara. He's been eating, he's been over drinking, he's been becoming addicted. He stole one or two times. He's liable to sekila, to the most severe punishment. Said the Mishnah, explain the Gemara, is nidon al shem sofo. It's based on what we know, based on what the Torah is telling us. This child in the future will bring themselves through such activity, through these mindsets, to addiction to the extent that they'll be stealing not only from their father, but from other people. They'll in turn be killing others. And mutav, it's better, that this individual will die when they're still righteous, this child, before they've actually killed someone, than when they actually go ahead and do so. It'll be tragedy, it'll be travesty for our community, for our nation. As a result, the Torah tells us to kill him already then, now. Ben Sorero More is not, in the scheme of things, going to be a circumstance where we actually act and do so. As the Gemara told us beforehand, lo hayav lo atid lihiyot. There are too many qualifications, as we explained, for this actually to play out the way the Torah describes it. Never had been and never will be aside for that opinion we saw in the Gemara of Rabbi Yonatan, that he sat next to the grave. But generally speaking, we assume it teaches us values. This next case, and that's the contrast that I'm building for you, is actually practical. It's actually a circumstance that not only could be, but has been, I'm certain, on many occasions, whether people knowingly, according to the Torah or not, did so. And that is Habbaba Mahteret. Now the word Mahteret, Lahtor, means to, to go under, it means to tunnel under. Uh, to be Hoter in contemporary, even in uh, Biblical Hebrew, means to dig. So Mahteret over here is a reference to an underground secret entrance into another person's home or property, right? That's what we're dealing with when we use those words in the Mishnah. Why are we using such a funny description? Just say if you broke into someone's house before we even learned the word. The answer is it's a pasuk in parashat mishpatim. You'll find it on the side of the Gemara where we have those pesukim that are cited. It's important that we already just read from the pasuk before we even engage in the Mishnah. The pasuk in the Torah says in parashat mishpatim, im bamachteret yimaseh haganav. If the robber, if the thief, is found in the mahterit, again, mahterit means the underground. Now the Gemara will question why the pasuk says specifically the underground in the tunnel. It's even if he's found in the home, the laws we're about to read. And the Gemara will give this several different interpretations. We'll see that in the Gemara, but that's why our Mishnah is already using that word mahterit. Let's just read the pasuk. The pasuk says, vihukav amit. And this robber is struck. Now that's an interesting word. We'll deal with it in the Gemara as well. Struck. It doesn't mean you may strike him. It means and he struck. It sounds like others can kill him as well. Now, why is he getting killed? He's a ganav. 
That's really what our Mishnah is dealing with. He's a robber. A robber isn't per se a murderer. And as a result, the Torah is telling us, you can kill him. That's what our Mishnah will deal with. But continues the Pasuk in the Torah. It says, En lo damim. In such a circumstance, we consider the robber as En lo damim. With halachic lenses, Torah lenses. What's that? You're, you're too far ahead. I'm at the word en lo damim in the, in the Pasuk. And as the Pasuk initially says, en lo damim. He doesn't have blood. We envision him as, so to speak, a dead man walking. So there's the robber who's in a secretive mission into your home. You're allowed to strike him because he doesn't have blood. He's a dead man walking. Charlie, here you go. Im hashemish alav. Continues the Pasuk and it says, however, if quote unquote, and I say that on purpose, the sun shines upon him. Strange to describe it as such. It sounds poetic. The Gemara will deal with what's the, the sun shining on him. Damim lo. There are circumstances where we look at the robber and we say, this robber has life. Well, what's the halacha going to be if he has life? Shalem yishalem imen lo venim In such a circumstance, of course, he has to pay. But our understanding is, in contrast, in such a situation, you're not allowed to kill him. When is it that we'll envision the robber as damim lo? He has life. You're not allowed to kill him. Alternatively, when do we envision him as en lo damim? You're allowed to strike him. Again, imagine now that we've set the, set the scenery, imagine the, the following setting. You woke up, it's the middle of the night. You know, these are Tmidim Kisidram. I remember just this past summer, it didn't happen this year, this past summer, we heard some, my wife woke up to hearing some noise downstairs. I don't know what possessed her to demand that I pick up a sharp object and go downstairs to deal with whoever was potentially my, there was no chance I was going to be able to take him down. But I, halachically speaking, that's what she was well, effectively saying, going, I said I'd rather just call the police. I mean, I think that's the easier approach today. But nonetheless, that's really what we're dealing with. There's someone in the home. There's someone in the underground. Someone entered in when it's not Zareh HaShem HaShalav, quote unquote. What, and, what are you allowed to, what are you not allowed to do to such a, a person? Now what's the difference between again, and last time I'm going to say, because we'll read it in the Gemara, Damim Lo and En Lo Damim, the Gemara gives the following concrete examples, but it's expansive. Says the Gemara, if the circumstance is that a father deranged as he may be, is stealing from his son, we do not assume, unless we're certain that he has such a hatred to his son, that he will pull the gun and shoot his son as the robber. As a result, we call that the objective damim lo case. We call that av al-habin. We'll see it at the very bottom of the amud going into the next amud, which means to say if it's a father stealing from the son, damim lo, easiest case to describe as cannot kill him, the assumption is he won't kill as a robber. En lo damim is anyone else. Standard circumstance, the Gemara will suggest, if there's a robber, we'll see it in the first lines of the Gemara, in your home, as my wife told me, grab a sharp object and stick it into him, kill him. Why am I allowed to kill him? En lo damim. We assume, and we'll see this in the Gemara, that he will pull the gun and trigger on you first, so you're allowed to do it in order to save your own life, in order to have security, self-defense. Okay, that all being the case, I go back to the Mishnah. Hababa mahterit nidon al shem sofo. There are the words, nidon, he's judged the robber al shem sofo based on what he will do in the future. It'll be the first words in our Gemara, but I already told you what that means. We assume that this robber, this is the assumption, the halachic psychological evaluation of a robber in the home of another person when it's not the father of the person, if confronted, they'll pull the gun, 
they'll pull the instrument of killing before the house owner. And as a result, Nidon al Shem Sofo, they're already judged on, based on what they're going to do in the future, which means to kill. Now that comes with an ironic positive consequence for the robber. How so? Explains the Mishnah, Hayababa Mahterit, Vishibere etahavit. If this robber is entering surreptitiously in a secretive fashion into the home of, the, of a person and he breaks a havit, a barrel, or by extension, anything else that the homeowner uh, of his possessions, her possessions, im damim hayav, im damim patur. Let's go backwards. In the following circumstance, I'll bring you back to the Jersey home. I heard someone downstairs. Now, let's say there really was someone downstairs and a Jewish person, and we're living in a country where we have Jewish court system. Great, now that we established that. I catch the guy, he runs out of the house, but as he's running out of the house, as he's in the house, he smashes, I don't know, the, the, the picture frames on the wall, he takes out some uh, things from the fridge, throws them on the floor and so forth, he causes all sorts of damages. I catch him, I have him on video, I bring him to court and I say, you're the one who caused all those damages. The court will rule in such a circumstance, en lo damim, and as a result, patur, he doesn't need to pay, doesn't need to pay, that's ridiculous, he entered into my home, he damaged my goods, he's patur, nidon al shem sofot. No, no, he's patur from tashlumin, he doesn't need to pay. Why doesn't he need to pay? This person, as he destroyed those items in my home, was a dead man walking. This person, in those moments, was liable to death penalty by means of me. I could take out a gun and kill him. That's what we established. He's judged based on what he'll do in the future. Since we know, we're determined he would kill me, I'm allowed to kill him. If I'm allowed to kill him, it means when I put on my halakha lenses, when I look at this person through the prism of Torah, he's dead. He's liable to death penalty. He's on death row right now. He's literally at the precipice of death. And as a result, if you have, for argument's sake, both a death penalty and a monetary obligation to the same, because of the same act and same person, you are exempt from paying the money. That's a concept, I'm sorry to throw so many at you, but the Mishnah is doing it to us. It's a concept known as kam le We place upon the person the rabbamine, the greater of the obligations. One second, the classic example for this, and I bring you back to our Mishnah, is there's a fight in the street, and ultimately speaking, one guy pulls, pulls the trigger on the other, and uh, kills him. The family members not only want this man who shot their family member on death row, they furthermore, they say he was wearing a very expensive suit. That suit was a $10,000 suit. We want you to pay for it. They say, absolutely not. What do you mean? Dry cleaning bill, we want you to replace it, and so forth. He says, I have a death liability. That death liability is sufficient to exempt me as well, or specifically from the financial obligations. The logic notwithstanding, that's the halakha from the Torah. What's that? Important question. Give it a few minutes, give it a few minutes, the assumption, now, if you're to determine that, if you know that, then absolutely you can. The question is how you'll determine that. Your assumption is the Gemara will say, Hazaka, he has intention and the ability to kill. That all being the case, that's what the Mishnah, now, wait, last point, and then we'll open it up to the conversation. Last point is, but ultimately speaking, the guy's out of the house. The guy didn't get killed. He broke objects, and he didn't get killed. 
So maybe it was a dead man walking in that moment. But ultimately speaking, he got out of my house. You're living a good life. I didn't kill you. The halacha is, and Rashi really demonstrates this from elsewhere, that irrespective of whether he was killed or not, the fact that he has a death pronouncement on him in that moment exempts him. Rashi gives the example of Tanah Deveh this statement elsewhere, Masechi Ketubot, and in other places, that the statement goes as follows, or Tanah Deveh Ishmael, maybe it is, irrespective of who said it, the statement goes as follows, even if a person, Lo'aleinu, kills Bishogig, meaning there was no warning, they're still not liable to pay. But wait a second, they're not getting killed. There was no warning. Nonetheless, that's the halakha. You'll never have a death circumstance while at the same time having to pay. That's why our Mishnah says, in en lo damim patur. If he's a dead man walking, if he's liable to death penalty in that moment by you, patur from paying. If he's yesh lo damim, our example for yesh lo damim, remember, is the father entering into the son's household. Hayav, the father is deranged. He enters the son's household. He plans on stealing. He doesn't end up stealing, or maybe he does, but at the same time he damages, he has to pay. Jeffrey? So are you saying that you caught this guy, that's exactly the point. I gotcha. So your question is, but if you can't kill him, how come he's not liable? I get in the moment when you are allowed to kill him. That's the example Rashi gives. Again, it's a conceptual concept. Rashi says the same way, if the person isn't even going to be judged for death in an altogether different situation, he killed Bishogig, meaning it's that fight out in the street and there was no hatra, there was no warning. So the family members say, one second, you're not even on death row. He says, but in that moment, had I been given a warning, I was liable for death penalty. That in and of itself, the moment of death penalty exempts me. It's hard to let, wrap your head around it logically. So That's I the. the but, uh, so I have this guy, I can't really pass, I can kill him. I chased him, I saw my coin. It's no longer a self defense situation. Why could you kill him now? Because he was a threat? Because he was a threat. The only reason we're permitting his blood to you in the moment that he's in your home is because he's a threat, as, as we've discussed, as the Gemara will make clear. Once he's out, the question will be one of the first issues in the Gemara is, is along the same lines, but it's a bit, uh, you know, it's on the other end of things, is what if he walks out with the object and he's holding the object in his home? So again, you can't kill him any longer. In the moment that he stole the object, he's not liable, but now he's holding onto your TV in his home. I, 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 Give me my TV back. Because what do you mean? I bought this. You didn't buy this. You stole it. I bought it with my blood. I didn't take any blood from you. I didn't even catch you. Do you realize you could have killed me in the moment? It's now mine. That will be a debate between Rava and Rava, but you certainly can't kill him at that point, Charles. So just unfair, two things. Uh, we're considering him a dead person. He comes in during the nighttime. So you're, too, you're too literal over here. You're right. The Torah says, Im zarecha Hashem eshalav. We don't... You, What's the difference between the two? It's a question, the way the Gemara will define it. There is a famous statement of Ra'avad, that's the commentary on Harambam, who reads the Pesukim very literally, which is out of, out of character. He says, oh yeah, it means if it's daytime or nighttime, and the only... Uh, the Pesukim, as the Gemara will seemingly interpret them, is about, uh, it's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's a poetic flourish of the Torah, so to speak, and it's talking about how clear it is that this person wants to kill you. 
And as a result, the only distinction has nothing to do with the time of the day, per se, as the Gemara will explain. It has to do with the circumstance. This guy, based on your appraisal, in this moment, is he ready to kill you? Again, if you see he's brandishing a Nerf gun as he enters in, you know right away you're not a, that's Zareh HaShem that's the daylight. If alternatively he looks like a tough guy or whatever, you don't know what he has on him, the Gemara will say, Misafik, you're allowed to kill him. It's not about the daytime and nighttime, it's about the uh, assumption that he will kill you if confronted. That's right. He's Nidon al Shem Sofo. Based on what we assume he will ultimately do, which is kill you, we can kill him now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said it at the beginning of the class. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the connection. Nothing more, nothing less. It's just Nidon al Shem Sofo. Yes, Teddy. You are right. It's not. Ex- in other words, Teddy points out the Nidon Hashem Sofo is not exactly the same. The Nidon, but uh, uh, again, understand by the Ben Sorero More, it's because we assume later on he's going to do that. That's why we're judging him in this moment to death penalty because we don't want him to come to that. Over here, you're saying he's Nidon Hashem Sofo in the moment where you're allowed to kill him, but you're not allowed to kill him afterwards. Yeah, it's not exactly the same, but conceptually, the point is the Torah is telling you look at a circumstance and be broader than just seeing it in this moment, understand where it might lead to. Okay, says the Gemara, Amar Rava, Rava's claim or his, his statement with regards to our Mishnah, with regards really to the Pasuk in the Torah, what's the rationale, what's the reasoning that underlies Mahteret? Again, Hababa Mahteret, En Lo Damim, says our Mishnah, you're allowed to kill him, Nidon Hashem Sofo. So he's really just fine-tuning. What does it mean, Nidon Hashem Sofo? That's what Rava is really doing over here. Hazaka, Hazaka is a word we use in the Gemara in many circumstances, generally speak, it has the meaning that the rabbis made a psychological evaluation. That's what it means. The rabbis had a psychological evaluation. They assumed. So you have hazaka in all sorts of circumstances. Hazaka that you're telling the truth in this situation. Hazaka that you're going to do all sorts of hazakas. Over here, it's a psychological evaluation. What's the hazaka? Hazaka, over here, it's not even the rabbis, it's the Torah. En adam ma'amid atzmo al-mamono. First and foremost, our psychological evaluation, much as my wife turned to me in that moment, less because she was scared for my children and ourselves, more because, I don't know, we didn't even have valuable stuff, maybe my books, I, whatever. She was nervous about our objects, our, our finances, is being affected. And Adam Ma'amid Asmal Mamono, a person will not stand by idly as another person takes their possessions. But it's ridiculous. You want me to walk downstairs and confront this robber if it were to have actually been a robber, but in order to save some money, and Adam Ma'amid, we don't think like that in that circumstance. My money's being taken, I'm going to confront him. But it's dangerous. That's Hazakai is that generally speaking, the, the uh, instinct of humanity, of human beings, is to stand up to the aggressor in the moment where your money is being taken, irrespective of how ridiculous rational thinkers might look at that situation. Vehai, and as a result, this, meaning the robber, Memar Amar, certainly says to himself, I azilna, if I go into this home, Ka'ilapai. The homeowner will stand, it means to stand, le'apai in my face. 
All right, so we have two stages. The initial assumption, which the robber is aware of, he's been around the block a few times, he knows if this homeowner is, is around, if he hears me, he's going to get up in my grill. He's going to stand right up, and as a result, the robber in turn says to himself, he's not going to allow me to go. He's going he's to get my blood. And therefore, if he's standing in my face, my plan is to kill him. Rashi says, in order to seize the money. Alternatively, the Rishonim say, in order to confront him as he's confronting me. That's the instinct. The robber who's being confronted by the homeowner is ready to kill him. He has this in his mind as he enters into the home. He knows there's a homeowner. He's aware that if the homeowner hears him, he's going to stand in his face. As a result, he's going to stand in my face and be ready to kill me. I'm ready to kill him, says the Gemara. Last stage, says Rava Veha Torah Amra. And in turn, the Torah is teaching and preaching to us, in if there's someone coming to kill you, it's called self-defense. You have the right, you have the capability, maybe even the responsibility to kill them first. That's the statement here. And now, interesting question. Uh, the Mishnah and Ayin Gimal, I mentioned both on purpose. The Mishnah and Ayin Gimal will talk about the Mishnah and Ayin Gimal will talk about a circumstance where you see someone else racing after another, for example, with a gun in his hand. Over there, the Gemara is Doresh from Pasuk, Lo Ta'amod al Dam Re'echa, commandment, responsibility, that you have to kill or at the very least stop the pursuer. I mentioned that in this context as well because it's very similar with regards to Hababa Mahteret. There might be a distinction, the Rishonim discussed this in this context, between Hababa Mahteret and the classical, what we call Rodef. Or Rodef, you see it. You see it in his eyes, you see it in his feet, you see it in the gun that he's holding, he's ready to kill that person. Over here, it might not be a responsibility because you might never confront him. If you lie in your bed, he might actually leave. But at the very least, you have an ability. That's why I mentioned both. You're allowed, it's permitted for you to kill him uh, in order to save your own life. That's the concept of Hababa Mahterit. Now, the Gemara, once establishing that, and again, keeping in mind, bearing in mind. So, the circumstance. There's no question, there's no question, the Gemara, again, at the bottom of the, the hour Amud into the next Amud will establish the following. The Gemara will establish that in a circumstance of safik, of uncertainty, whether the guy is ready to kill you or not, you're allowed to kill him. That's what the Torah is telling us. If you're more than certain, more than safik, you're almost certain that the guy is not there to kill you, how would you determine that? Not so simple. The Gemara's example is it's your father who's in your home, right, your father's in your home. In that situation, correct, you're not allowed to kill them. But the Torah is, quote unquote, somewhat liberal on this matter, according to the rabbi's understanding. In order to preserve your own life, you can and should assume that the standard situation, unless you know otherwise, is the guy is there to kill you. The Gemara will say it's not only your father, it's your friend as well. But still, it's somewhat narrow. It's saying the standard guy is there. Now, circumstantially, you're right. If the guy, and that brings us back to Charles's question from earlier, if the guy is doing it in broad daylight, if he's not doing it at night, and it's because you're out of the country and he assumes you're not home and there, 
Okay, that might be similar to the father's circumstance. That's a debate. The Gemara will touch on it briefly. The Rishonim discuss that as well. All right, these are the issues. You know, the question always in learning this and in teaching this is, who in the moment is really going to be able to determine this? I was, I was this guy in my house. I have to think, is he here to kill me or not? But the Gemara is somewhat clear about that. In 99% of the circumstances, you're allowed to kill him. That's pretty clear from the Gemara. How are you going to determine? Are you probably going to determine in, the, in a split moment. All right, anyway, says the Gemara, the debate that I told you about just a moment ago. So we established at the end of our Mishnah, the second line of our Mishnah, that the halacha is that if the robber breaks something, if it's in Lodamim, the standard situation, he's not liable. Why not? We give him, we judge him based on the more severe punishment with his death penalty in that moment. If it's yesh lo damim, all right, then it's otherwise. If it's the father, then he has to pay. What about if he doesn't break something? Our Mishnah talked about breaking. Rather, he picks it up and walks out of the house, and he says, I paid with my blood, but I didn't take any blood from you. What's the halacha in such a circumstance? Let's take a look at the Gemara. It says the Gemara, Amar, Amar Rav. It's a mahlok between Rav and Rava. Hababa mahteret. If an individual, again, is stealing, literally coming from the underground, and he grabs the utensils, he doesn't break them, he grabs them, and he leaves. Now, I don't know, he's keeping them in his home, he's enjoying them. Uh, what's the halakha? Patur. He doesn't have to pay. He doesn't have to pay. What's the reason? The words I was using to, with you until now. He bought them with his blood. What does it mean he bought them? He acquired them. They are now called his utensils. It's his TV, it's his picture, it's his money. What do you mean it's his? He bought it, he didn't buy it with his blood. The fact that he took the risk in that moment of his blood being taken from him, that was his acquisition. It's an amazing statement of Rav. Says the Gemara, Amar Rava, Rava initially uh, speaks about Rav a little bit respectfully, and then he gets very angry at him. Amar Rava, mistabera milte de Rav, says Rav, I can accept it says Ravai can accept Rav's statement bisheshiber when the robber walks into the house and he breaks the utensils. He breaks the utensils. There are no utensils any longer. He broke the TV. Now you're claiming, give me the TV back. There is no TV. Now pay for it. No, no, no. no. I, in that moment, I was liable to death penalty. However, if the person were to pick up and walk out with it, it's certainly not the halacha. Uh, what do you mean it's not the halacha? In such a circumstance, says, says Rava, in disagreeing with Rav, in such a circumstance, he'd have to pay. Well, why would he have to pay? Why would he have to pay? Explains Rashi. We have to imagine the circumstances. Not that he acquired it. It's rather considered like a picadon. It's a deposit. The halacha in the circumstance, if I were to give you a picadon to hold on to something, it's mine. But it's in your possession. It's in your physical possession, but it's in my legal possession. In such a circumstance, since the item is still around, although it's out of my possession, although he risked his life, but ultimately speaking, it's still mine. That is Rava's counterclaim to Rav. Yes? That's the point. But again, the question is now, the fact that in the moment he was judged, quote-unquote, based on what he maybe would come to, even though he didn't come to it, did he now acquire? He certainly is exempt from paying, even though he never got killed. Can he as well keep the item? Right. Right. 
the startling point is, and Tosafot points, and Tosafot points this out, and, and, and the Gemara will be somewhat clear along these lines, even though it's a mahloket. What about the following situation? Our debate is he's holding the cup, and it's still intact. We said if he broke it, he's certainly exempt. What about he runs... That's it. He runs out of the house, and as he's running out of the house, he's done. You can't kill him any longer. He's out of your house, and he sees the lions on the front lawn, and he smashes them. What's the halacha on such circuit? The assumption of Tosafot is that even, that's right, even Rava would agree in such a circumstance, he's patur. he's patur, the guy's out of my house, I can't be killing him in this situation. That's a startling statement, we'll have to deal with that a bit, but, but that's, that's the extent of this Nidon al-Shem Sofot. Again, the only debate we're having over here is if the item is still intact. Do we envision this item now in his hand as what's called a picador, and as a result he's liable? You have to return it. You're holding on, you know, uh, you took it to pot. The homeowner has a certain security that he's allowed to kill the guy if he enters into his home. Yeah. Now he's down the block and the guy can throw his item, break it, yeah. Correct, according to everyone. If he throws it in, then he's fully exempt. If he runs away with it, according to Rob, he still gets to keep it. But that's my, I, you know, you've, you've seen these situations, yeah. Exempt. Why should it be any different? No, certainly not. This, this guy can't either. He can only in the moment. Your question is when he's leaving the house. Now, down the block, he can't. He can't run into my business now that he's whatever. He can't. I got it. I'm absolutely not. Even though you're a dead man walking, you're a dead man walking with liabilities. There's no question. Over here as well. It's really only the stuff that you killed in the moment when you're the dead man walking. We're extending it for some very hard to understand reason. Tosafot's pointing out from the Gemara later on and over here that even as you're leaving the house, it's still. But once you're out of the house, you know, really out of the house, no chance. Anyway, says the Gemara, Rava has a hard time accepting Rav's statement. Veha Elohim. That's an exc- exclamation you have in the Gemara, which means, and by my God. Amar Rav Afilu Natal said Rava. I thought to claim that Rav's statement was specifically if you broke, if the robber broke, that's when he's exempt. You should know Rav disagreed with me. Rav said even if he took, even if it's in his home now, even if he's now selling it, you can't claim. But that's mine. The Hayesh Lo Damim Hayav. The example that Rav, in order to support himself brings the proof that he has is from a case of yesh lo damim v'ne'ensu. What is the yesh lo damim v'ne'ensu? The circumstance of yesh lo damim. It's the father. Father entered into the son's household. In such a circumstance, he's ne'ensu. Ne'ensu means he accidentally breaks something. What's the halacha in such a circumstance? He's yesh lo damim. The halacha is he's hayav. Why should he be hayav in such a circumstance? Alma dirshute kayame. So suggests the Gemara, the halachic circumstance for this guy in the situation where he grabs the item 
comparing it to a case of yeshlo damim, where if there was an accidental breaking now, we make him liable. Why do we say so? Because we say it's already in his possession to some extent. So too over here, Rav's statement by extending it to the enlo damim, he says, this item is fully in his possession, which is a concept, again, that we're going to return to in this situation and explain that according to Rav, we're looking at this guy and saying, this item is now his. It's birshute kayam, kayam. That's the claim of Rav. Rava cannot accept it. Velohi says Rava, it's absolutely not so. Ki ukimna rahmana birshute leinyan onasina valeinyan mikna birshute demarayu kayame mide dehava ashoel. Says Rava, I have a precedent for our circumstance, Rav, and I completely and, and utterly disagree with you. Rav, your claim is this guy grabs it, it's now in his possession to the extent that he's going to be able to keep this item. Absolutely not. Envision this, anyone who learned Masech Bava Metziah says Rava to a case of what's called Sho'el. Sho'el, there are different types of Shomrim, there are different types of ways of holding on to someone else's possessions and you don't take full ownership over it, you take a partial ownership over it to the extent that there are different laws with regards to what you're allowed to do with the item, what you have to do if the item is lost, if the item is accidentally or against, against your abilities, damaged and so forth. Sho'el is what we call a circumstance where the guy has full benefit. He's allowed to use the item, he's borrowing, allowed to use the item, and he doesn't need to pay anything for it. In such a circumstance, we come down strong on this guy. We turn to this guy and we say to him, this item is completely in your possession for many matters, but for honest, if it's, if it's against your will, something happens to it, we can't exempt you over there. Look at what you got out of this. The guy literally handed it over to you. You took almost full... In such a circumstance, that's the situation that we're dealing with over here, says Rava. The closest I can come up with for a robber who walks out of the house with the guy's item is, well, he walks out of the house with the guy's item, it's his. I'll accept that, Rav. It's really his? Yeah, it's really his. To the extent that honest is... But it's not fully his to the extent that he doesn't need to give it back. If you're borrowing something from me, I knock on your door and I say, but that's mine. No, no, now it's mine. You gave me the ability to use it. I gave you the ability to use it. It was yours. You took a partial ownership, but it's mine. That's the counterclaim of Rava. Says Rava, it must be returned. And the Gemara will now uh, try to support Rava, or he'll try to support himself, and then make a counterclaim. Just listen to the proof for Rava. It's a proof we kind of already touched on. Remember the words of our Mishnah. The words of our Mishnah at the end. We're talking about the following situation. Hababa mahteret vishiberet ha'havit, and he broke the barrel. Im enlo damim patur. Im yeshlo damim hayaf. Pause for a second. Why did the Mishnah talk about he broke the barrel? Shouldn't we extend the case to he grabs the barrel? I mean, it's a ridiculous situation, but Rav, you told me that's the halakha in such a circumstance. Your claim, Rav, is that I envision that item as he now took possession of it. Why did the Mishnah suffice by saying if he broke? I should say, if he took Tenan, the Mishnah says, Baba Mahter Vishibere Tahavit Yesho Damim Hayav Enlo Damim Patur. Asks the Gemara or claims the Gemara for Rava Ta'amad Shibir. The only reason why he's exempt in this circumstance of Enlo Damim when he entered into the person's home and dealt with their possessions is because it's broken. It's gone. As a result, I'm exempt. I'm like a Shoel to a certain extent. Dechi Enlo Damim Patur. Hanatal, if I were to grab the item, lo, I'm not exempt. Clearly, says Rava, you're wrong, Rav. 
Rab, your claim is, even if the guy grabs the item, he's exempt. I walk into the auction and this guy says, that's my item. Uh, it's the museum situation. Someone's selling the black market an item they stole from the museum. What's the halakha in such a circumstance? According to Rav, it's theirs. They bought it with their blood. According to Rava, it's not theirs. Says Rava, but wait a second, read the Mishnah. The Mishnah talks about breaking. Why doesn't the Mishnah talk about you own it? Answers the Gemara, no, it's not a good diuk, it's not a good deduction. The Mishnah could have as well, and it means as well, even if you took, according to Rav. Why does the Mishnah specifically talk about breaking? For the flip side, says the Gemara, the reason the Mishnah specifically and only talks about breaking is to teach you about the situation where you're liable, where the father enters into the child's home. But wait a second. And he broke and he was in the midst of stealing. Even over there, he's, pat, he's hayav. It's not to tell you on the flip side, when it's the standard robber, he's going, to be pat, he's going to be hayav if he grabs the item. Absolutely not. Even if he grabbed the item. Why does Mishnah talk about Shibir? To teach you about the yesh lo damim situation that even though he broke, in other words, you have to be able to understand there's a way of demonstrating how severe the law is on each end. We're demonstrating on the end of yesh lo damim. The father, he's liable even if he broke, says the Gemara, but that too is simple. We'll return to this tomorrow. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.